Hype Beast and Hype Radio. I am Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. Today's guest on The Business of Hype is a BOH first. It will be the first time that a guest interview is done as a two-part series. This week will be part one, and we will follow up with part two in the next episode. Why? It's not because he couldn't shut up. It's because while today's guest has had many huge chapters in his life, he's at a relatively early start, and his trajectory is still on the rise. I think he's very indicative of today's entrepreneur and what their potential is, doing a ton of things in a very short amount of time. This week's guest wasn't born with the internet in his face. He's part of the last generation of humans that knows what a pre-internet world is like, but fully has tech at the palm of his fingers and is second nature for him to use its power. So on the one hand, he's extremely charismatic and personable in real life situations. And on the other hand, he can reach every human on every continent with the snap of his fingers. In my opinion, it's this combination that makes his efficiency for output so damn good. So we're gonna start from his roots of dumpster diving in the Salvation Army, find out how he created a retail empire, a brand, and a legendary collaboration with Nike, to how he manages his nearly 1 million social media followers, and to learn how he went from being a businessman to a businessman. Get ready for the first episode of a two-part conversation with the round two founder and vegan, Sean Witherspoon. Uh, my name's Sean Witherspoon. I'm one of the owners of Round Two. Uh, did the Nike shoe? Yeah. Um, Where are we now? Yeah, we're in. Uh, we're in Round Two. We're in our actually our Round Two clothing store, which is on Melrose, across from our main locations here mm-hmm. in Hollywood. And um, this is where we sell just our Round Two brand. Cool. It's a lot, lot more chill than the than the main stores. This is kind of like my favorite little like oasis, you know. Yeah. I'll like come over here mid mid during the day. It's like packed as hell over there, and I'll walk over here, and I'm like, ah. I can breathe. <laughs> right, right. You know, like, oh, it's nice, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. What do you classify yourself as? Ooh, tough. I have no idea. Are you um, are you an archivist? Um, I think it's really tough. Connoisseur? To a, like... I hate to even put a word to it. I think I'm just like a, an overall human. Uh-huh. I don't know. I like to do anything. So it's like I hate to hold myself. What's your myself. job title? My job title? I don't know. <laughs> Everyone always asks me, like, what do you want us to put you as on this contract? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Sean Weatherspoon? Is there like a... Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, was, I like to design stuff. I like to collect stuff. I like to curate. I like to archive. I like to, you know, inspire. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I really like to do it all. I'm kind of down. Like, I like getting an email where it's like, hey, are you down for this? I'm like, right. yes, yes. <laughs> of course. That's like, the auto answer. Yes. Yeah, yes, for sure. Now, what's up? Okay, you know, so but, maybe maybe chronologically speaking, yeah. which came first? How about that? Um. So the... Very like going fr- way back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sean, the the skateboarder, and Sean, the like sneaker collector, came first. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you were into collecting shoes before clothes. Yeah, and it wasn't really collecting. Like I don't know another word to say. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what do you say when you're not really collecting, but you have like a lot of something? What is that? Mm-hmm. Hoarding. Hoarding. <laughs> what do you? What is it called when it's not hoarding and not collecting? <laughs> well, were yeah. you um, were you like it, it inspired was, by like no, was, athletes? Like, is that was no? That? It was just like my so my superstars were skateboarders. Okay, straight up. Like that's why when I met Costin for the first time out here, like <laughs> we could meet everyone, but fucking Costin rolled in, and I'm like speechless. You uh, know what I'm saying? Yeah, and it's like one of those things where it's like that's that's mm-hmm. a hero to me yeah, you he's know? jordan for you he's jordan for, dude that's legit yep. like jordan for me you know yeah and um and this is in va this is in va yeah okay. so i i grew up in virginia uh northern virginia and so right now i guess the year i'm speaking to is maybe like 2002 to 2004 2005 mm-hmm. stuff like that um yeah i mean we just skated i looked up to a lot of skateboarders and um i don't know why i had a lot of shoes i just liked shoes yeah i don't know what it is but like I remember um, those Cyrus D3s came out. Uh-huh. I asked my mom to get me. Uh, my friend had like that white metallic and red pair. Yeah. It was like this, the really moon boot space looking colorway. Mm-hmm. It was like almost like a NASA colorway. Yeah. But I remember asking my mom for those and she was like, you already have like three pairs of shoes. She's uh-huh. like, why do you need this one? And these are like a hundred bucks. Yeah. It was like $99 in CCS or something. And I was like, I don't I love these. Like, I just want to have a new pair. And I don't know what it was about like having a new pair of skate shoes. I don't know. I just mm-hmm. like, it's not that I wanted to have this like big collection or whatever, but the idea of having this like fresh pair fresh, of shoes yeah. to skate in, I, there was something about it that was so sick. You know, what was your style like? Like your um, clothing style? Yeah. So 
I wore. I, I kind of imagine it to not have changed. Like I feel like <laughs> Young Sean is the same as what I'm looking at right I now. I think the brands changed a little, you know, but otherwise, like the aesthetic is there. Um, you know, 2000. So what was, yeah, what was your style? We'll go back to uh, I think so 2005 ish. You know, I was like 14, 15. Mm-hmm. So um, I was 14 and 04, 15 and 05. Mm-hmm. So I was wearing baggy ass True Religions. Um, nice. And the reason I was wearing the trues was, uh, so we used to go to Nordstrom Rack because we would get dope skate shoes there from like Mad Cheap. Okay. You know, like they had really cool stuff at Nordstrom Rack. Yeah. We would we get Jordans there too. Like mm-hmm. I remember my homie got bread ones there, <laughs> but it was so sick. Anyways, we're at Nordstrom Rack and my dad had taken me to do school shopping mm-hmm. and I'm looking through the racks, just like looking for jeans. He was like, just get a cheap pair of jeans, you know, just whatever you can find. Yeah. And I saw these like true religions with the Buddha on the pocket. And okay. I was into this yep. whole Rasta thing. Like, okay. LRG was my shit. Okay. And, like, you know, like, my dad bought me dreadlock shampoo so I could try to get dreads. You know, uh-huh. like, it was, like, that cool, like, you know, Rasta yeah. era. Like, Rasta, that shit was mad tight, you right. know? And so um, I saw this, like, Buddha on the tag, and it said, Fashion for the Senses. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, like, this is, this is cool, <laughs> you know? And it had, like, the embroidery on the pockets. Yeah. But I noticed, like, the stitching was, like, thick as, you know, mm-hmm. like, on Trues, yep, they did, like, thick. the quadruple stitch, yeah, you know? Yeah, And what went through my head was, I was like, these are never going to rip. Right. I was like, my crotch is never going to rip on these in the skate park. Like, mm-hmm. my ass is never going to be out right. at the skate park in these. Yeah. So I asked my dad to buy me them. He got them, wore them to school. Everyone made fun of me. It was like, oh, Sean's, like, Sean's gay, whatever. Like, you know, shit like that. And I was like these are fire. Like I was like, you guys are all going to wear them next year. Whatever. Yeah. Like what about t-shirts? Yeah. We're baggy trues, diamond supply coast shirts, staple. Okay. Um, uh, you're ten, just, you're just saying that. No, I'm no, 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 no. I'm not even fucking with you, dude. <laughs> 10 deep staple diamond supply Co. crooks and castles. Wow. We would drive to Philadelphia just to skate, just to go on skate trips and go to the Burlington coat factory uh-huh. by city hall there. Yeah. That like little like underground joint mm-hmm. because they had the best 10 deep in LRG. Wow. And staple and stuff like we'd find it all there, dude. That yeah. was like our come up off spot. Price. <laughs> Yo, off price. Like, man, we would switch the tags and everything. Like it was so sick. But damn. So you weren't into like DC, like Quicksilver? Um, I was into I was into DC and Quicksilver, but that was a little earlier. Maybe yeah. I was into those like around two thousand you know, maybe from ninety eight to two thousand two. Okay. And then I feel like I kind of graduated from Quicksilver, mm-hmm. Billabong yeah. to like more of like a streetwear. I was wearing a lot of polo and stuff. I was mm-hmm. wearing more designer actually. Okay. Yeah. But um so we wore a lot of polo, things like that, then the street where we messed with like i said was like staple 10 deep crooks diamond mm-hmm. that stuff to us was like supreme were you, you know? um were you into other things like comics or vinyl or like um, video games like what, what else besides sneakers yeah i like and- i like video games but it's not like i was like into it okay but like i was you know loved n64 for some reason this like memory of when i first got my n64 has never left my head my uh-huh. mom got pulled over that day in like 96 or whatever it was yeah. and i remember the cop like she tried to blame it on me and my sister for being loud and the cop was like ma'am it's not your kid's fault, you know? And I was like, yo, this... You remember this moment, It's like, just been in my head, yeah, so yeah. I, I really love... My loved, mom's lying to this cop right yo, now. My mom's, and, she always, she was, and she would always get pulled over, too, and that was like... She swore that she never did, but, man. But, um, yeah, so I like video games. Mm-hmm. I'm not, like, a video game, like, connoisseur or whatever, yeah, yeah. or collector, but I, like, I love, like, N64. I love some PS1, some PS2. Okay. Um, you know, but some I'm Midnight to, Club Dub Edition remix on the PSP and shit. Yeah, but I'm trying to figure out, yeah. like, you have sort of, like a digger's mentality. Yeah, yeah. And when I say that, I'm sort of using this reference of like uh, a vinyl digger. Yeah, I get right? it. But you dig for shoes and clothes and gear. Just shit that catches my eye, really. But it was it's o- it's only shoes, clothes and gear for you. Um, it's that antiques you- too. We go to estate sales. I used to go to auctions every morning at Salvation Army. Uh-huh. I mean, we have like, you know, turn of the century stuff we have okay. mid-century we have that's more personal for you though, that's right? my personal stuff but it's also like if you look around here you'll see some like antiques kind of mixed yes. in and things like yes, that yes, i yes. always try to i try to you know i try to mix them when mm-hmm. i can because it's really truly what i love yeah. but um yeah i don't know maybe one day we'll see like a nice little antique round two type thing right yeah. right no that's but, dope what do you think it is about that getting your hands dirty and trying to find like yeah. uncover unearth something what why is that so addictive to you um it became addicting for me in richmond so i moved okay. from northern virginia where i was working at like outlet malls and polo barney's Saks. like okay. i worked at all those stores mm-hmm. right and um i didn't start getting into vintage and digging really until i got to richmond mm-hmm. the only digging we were doing in northern virginia was at the outlets on the back wall at nike yeah you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. and so um when i moved to you know southern virginia to the city <laughs> It was kind of like... <laughs> That's like kindergarten-level digging, like the, out, the back wall of the outlet. Yeah, 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 the back wall of the outlet. But, but you're we like, there there's every more. Day. There's yeah, we were more. there every day, and the dude would always save shit. But, um, <laughs> and then like going through the clearance rack at the polo outlet, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Trying to find the Olympic stuff from the last year. It yeah. was like, that was the shit. Mm-hmm. And so I moved to Richmond. I started going in thrift stores, and I started to realize like, 
there's vintage polo and vintage of all these brands that I'm like fucking with now. Mm -hmm. And so I became obsessed with the idea of like, you know, these like $3 jackets at a thrift store or a $10 one or a $20 one. Cause I was like, I was the dude at polo who's like buying a $40 shirt, but it's like, well, this retail for 160. Mm -hmm. So like I'm hyped, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so just like that idea, it kind of like won me over. I was like, man, this is, this stuff's, first of all, it's cooler than what I'm buying from polo because it's unique. Mm -hmm. And I, and I remember like I found this vintage polo bear shirt and it was one of the first vintage items I found. And I loved it because I loved the new polo bear. But in my head, I was like, I was like, holy shit, this is like I, I like pieced it together and I was like, wait, this is what Polo must have looked at to then re-release it yeah. for the one that I got. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, I have an original. Right. And when once I like calculated that there's like originals, mm-hmm. yeah, downhill. and cheaper. And cheaper yeah, yeah. is downhill. I got my first, I got 85 Chicago ones from this like uh this resale store called Rumors. Mm-hmm. It was like a thrift store slash like kind of like our concept, but it was like eight dollar shirts, things like that. Mm-hmm. I got them for eleven bucks. Yeah. And I remember I'm like walking home with them and like they had the eighty, you know, the date, the barcode inside the uh the sock liner there. Yeah. And yep. I remember I called my friend and I was like, yo, I got this really old pair of Jordans. I was like, I don't know what year they're from, but mm-hmm. they're old as shit. Mm-hmm. I was like, I think they're original. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm looking and I like looked up online. I found out how to find out the that serial number and stuff. And I, yeah. I was like, dude, I got OG Jordans. Like, I got the first pair of Jordan ones they ever fucking had. Uh-huh. And, dude, it was just obsession from then on out. Yeah, like, yeah. I just, I had to have, like, the original of everything. And I started thinking back to my life, mm-hmm. like, growing up. And I'm like, all right, what did I love? Got to go back to it. Got to get it. You know what yeah. I mean? It just turned into this whole, like. Maybe it's also because, like, you feel like you came up on something, right? Like, Yeah, I guess so. Like, for like it's cooler, more unique, and cheaper. You found it, you yeah. know? And, like, you uncovered it and, like. It's a great feeling. It right. really is. Right. Yeah. And, and it's it, even more limited than these quote unquote limited edition yeah, things. Yeah, 100%. Today. Once I realized that, I was like, this is so unique. And that's when I started to fall in love with like just the character of vintage, where I was like, oh, the rips on the collar mm-hmm. or like a little bleach mark down here, here. And that's when I started to fall in love with like, man, these items are really unique and they all kind of tell a story on themselves, you yeah, know? Yeah. And I started really collecting this stuff. The Sean we know today may not be the same young Sean back in the day, but the spirit was always there. If you step into any of his round two stores, especially early on, what you see is a product of Sean's digger mentality and his clear vision. To go back even further, that same mentality is a product of Sean's genuine curiosity of what was around him. He wasn't necessarily trend forecasting when he got a pair of true religions. And he wasn't an expert on spotting OG Jordans or Polo at the time either. He was just doing it from a very pure place. There's always a moment when that light bulb clicks and everything just makes sense. A rush of motivation and inspiration always follows. And Sean talks about it all going downhill. The moment he realized that those old original pieces that he's finding are also used as references for the new product that he sees on the brand shelves. That wasn't going downhill, maybe for his pocket, but it was the opening of the door to a long round two journey that he is currently still on. That early realization will be a key piece for Sean to capitalize on. It'll be important for you too. What's that light bulb or aha moment that you have? For me, I remember realizing that moment when I saw a person I didn't know wear a staple shirt. It was such a rush of a feeling, and it still is today. Here's someone who couldn't care less about who I am, blindly handing me money, indirectly or directly, of course, for something that I created and conceived of. That was mind-boggling and hella addictive. From there, it clicked. Something I had a passion and drive for that still fuels my business today. So figuring out the whys of what you're doing in business is just as important, if not more, than the hows. You know, a lot of it started in Richmond. I, I actually eventually worked for that uh, that like resale oh, really? store. Yeah, it was called Rumors, and like they had a similar concept where they would just let people bring in bags of thrifted stuff. Yeah, and then they would pick what they wanted, and they would give you an offer, cash you out, okay. whatever. And so they, that's where you learned the business model of it. Yeah, it is. And okay. I, but I used to shop Flight Club. Okay. So when we would go on our New York trips to go skate and stuff, mm-hmm. we would go to the OG Flight Club though on Green Street or whatever, yes. where Near they had NYU. clothes yeah, and yeah. stuff. Dude, it was sick. I got my first, uh, I got Stu CSBs there, used. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going through those racks. They would have like used Supreme and like vintage starter jackets and things like yep. that. And I didn't really like 
ever think into the process of like how those came into that store, I was like, all right, cool. This is a cool store with cool stuff, you mm-hmm. know, like obviously. Yeah. But then once I started working in Rumors, I was like, oh, there are these places that's like, you know, buy, sell, trade, like yep. consignment. I was like, wow. So what Rumors is doing is like a low end version of kind of what Flight Club's doing, yeah. but Flight Club's consignment. Yeah. Rumors is just giving you cash. Uh, Rumors did a lot of women's. And so I would always like try to take mad pride in their men's section and like really try to build it up. Mm-hmm. And um, can you break down really quick yeah. the buy sell trade like business model like yeah. from from the business side like yeah, the yeah. owner standpoint. So um, I guess for I'm, yeah I guess break it down like for us uh, like people bring shit in yeah so pe- so it I guess like the best way for me to break it down is explain how it came to be for us okay so we opened round two we got this like we got our first store you know 2013 mm-hmm. or whatever it was um it was 750 a month. And it was like your rent you know, was seven hundred fifty. Seven hundred fifty a month. Okay, we couldn't even afford the security deposit of the seven fifty, <laughs> so our landlord like waived it, and he uh-huh. was like, "Pay me it at the end of the month." Mm-hmm. So we gave him the original seven fifty. We're like, "Yo, we need to make thirty dollars a day to make this security deposit for the end of the month." Right. We weren't even buying <laughs> right. at that time. Thirty dollars a day was thirty dollars a day was the goal. And um, I was like, "Yo, I told like Luke and Chris, I was like, "Yo, I want you guys to know, I was like, we're gonna take an L a few days." I was like, "But one day, I think we'll make like a hundred bucks. That makes up for three days." <laughs> And right. I was like so serious. I was like, "Yo, trust me. Like, it'll happen." I love this. Yeah, and like, um, one day, dude, a hundred dollars. No, I told him. I was like, "Yo, it. trust me." I was like, "If one <laughs> pair of these," I was like, "Yo, think about it. One pair of shoes sells. That's a hundred bucks." Right. I'm like, "That's three days right there." Oh, it's amazing. I was like, "So if we fuck up for a few days, it's like all good." Right. And we weren't buying at the time, so we opened round two just to give people access to what we thought was cool. Uh-huh. It wasn't really to make money. There wasn't this whole like resell thing in our head where it's like, okay, we have this stuff that sells for more than we got it for. Yeah. It was just like, yo, we had shit. You were selling our, your stuff. Our, our personal clothes. Because oh, we were okay. collecting and like our closets were our stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when me, Luke, and Chris got together, we put our closets, mm-hmm. all of our personal stuff together. We only had a few outfits for ourselves after that. <laughs> and we put it all in a store. And that's really what it was. Because previous to that, our friends would just be like, they knew that we were people that had cool stuff that mm-hmm. we would sell it to them if they wanted it. Right. So it was like, even in middle school or high school, it was like, yo, go to Sean's locker. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. got Bapestas in there. Right. Fake Bapestas, of course. <laughs> you know, because that's what everyone was buying yeah, yeah. back then. But it was like, go to Sean's locker. He's got polos for 10 bucks. Uh-huh. He's got Bapestas. And we had this brand called Koofy that we would print our own shirts. Koofy brand clothing. Okay. We'd screen print it. My homie stole all the screen printing stuff. He stole all the t-shirts from fucking Michael's. We would go to his house at the end of the night. We'd screen print them. We'd throw them in backpacks, bring them to school the next day, sell them for 10 bucks each. We ran out of ink one time, and so it was like super like light, light but we called it the cloud version because <laughs> it looked like clouds right. and it was hot shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's awesome. But um, so how did that work out? The 750 rent place? Yes. Yeah, so the 750 rent was um, man, it was like we <laughs> did we you op- make rent. So we opened for we opened we wanted to open from a Friday to a Sunday just to like preview the place so we could show people like, hey, here's what we got. We mm-hmm. don't want to sell stuff, but we want to show you what to expect. Mm-hmm. And then people came and just wanted to buy shit. Yeah. So we started letting everyone buy stuff from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we like we we made like two grand. Wow. In a weekend. And do like, yo, I'm getting like I'm tripping right now. Just even <laughs> like I'm getting like my my face just like got all goosebumpy. Yeah, I can yeah. feel it. But it was like, dude, we felt like we were just swimming in the fucking right. dough, dude. Oh my God. Like we made three months. We rent each this grabbed weekend. like two hundred cash each just to have. You know what I mean? And I was just like, oh, I was like, <laughs> like we're getting paid out already. Like I couldn't believe it. But so that's when we were like, yo, we're low on product. Right. Like, we, how are we, we going to stock this? Like we don't. We and can't we have no go- clothes to wear yeah, now. We have nothing to wear. We have two hundred bucks. Like I'm gonna go buy some fly shorts from Need Supply. You know. But yeah. um, we we were like, yo, let's let's do an announcement saying that we're buying. Okay. We're like, let's give each other like two hundred bucks, but let's like um, you know, let's save the other fourteen hundred uh-huh. and let's like start buying people shit from them the next day okay so then we did the announcement on our, on our instagram we didn't have anything like where we're like all right we're gonna work off of this percentage like this is what we want to mm-hmm. make we're just like yo let's see what happens and okay. like i remember this one dude stephen hicks stephen hicks Stephen hicks he brought in a collection of shoes and it was like skunk sbs and all this stuff we had no idea what to do mm-hmm. we were just like um we'll pay you this because yeah. we want to sell it for this and it was just like this whole confusing thing but he ended up like Grabbing a few things from us, doing some trades. I think we gave him a little bit of cash. And then I remember looking at the back table and all the shoes we had gotten. I was like, yo, I was like, this is going to work out. I was mm-hmm. like, I think we can, we can price all these a little bit higher. We're going to make some money on that. Yeah. You know? And we all like, we're like, all right. <laughs> we're like, this is how it starts. So okay. pe- that, it started there. Pe- I could imagine, I could just Dude. imagine the accounting, oh. record keeping. <sighs> Tell me about that. Um, or so, if it existed. <laughs> yeah. It didn't exist until very recently. <laughs> So we were thinking about it, dude. We were three guys. Like we yeah. were just young was dudes. Any, were any one of you like the financial dude? No, hell no. We didn't even know what financial was. Luke worked at Wells Fargo and then quit his job at Wells Fargo after okay. we did two thousand dollars our first week. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wow. Yeah. And Chris was still trying to graduate VCU. 
Okay. And I was the only one who was like, I didn't graduate. I, I suck at school. I'm fucking worth I'm out here just to live out here, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I'm full-time store, you know? Okay. But, um, that is yo, I mean, like, we didn't really, we didn't get serious and start really looking into accounting and stuff like that until, like, two years into it, mm-hmm. you know? Because we were just, dude, we were just having fun. Yeah. That's it. There wasn't, like, a whole, like, you, you weren't, like, focused on it. You're like, oh, cool, like, we'll figure out what our taxes are and we'll pay it. It wasn't, right. like, we weren't really, like, we didn't have a crazy income. So it just, it was just, like, fun. Like, our point was, I always tell people is that it's, like, our only goal was to be our own boss. <laughs> That's all we wanted. Yeah. There wasn't like a whole like money thing. There wasn't like, yo, we're going to get rich and shit uh-huh. like this. It was like, literally, we're going to get this store for seven fifty, and we're not going to have to answer to anyone else the rest of our lives. And we all thought in our heads, we're like, dude, we're living in Richmond, Virginia. Our rent's 2500 bucks. Right. We're like, if we can each somehow make like five grand a month at the end of all this, mm-hmm. that's life. That's yeah. literally the end of life. We get married, we have a kid, you rent a place in right. Richmond, Virginia for $2,500 a month, you make mm-hmm. five grand a month at your store. No boss. You get a cheap car and you have no boss, and yeah. that's it. That's the dream. That was You're it, done. dude. That was literally like the extent of our dream. Right. And that was like, when I was younger, I just wanted to own my own store. So really, that was it. I was like, great, we'll own our own store. <laughs> and then shit just started to grow. Like, it started to just grow and okay, grow so and grow. Why, why did it grow? Um, it grew did it just Did it just outgrow Richmond? It outgrew Richmond, but we were really lucky to start in a small city. Mm-hmm. And I tell everyone that, dude, it was like, you, you can't start big. You literally can't start anything big. Yeah, but I hear a lot of young people who are trying to get into the business. Yeah. They're like, yo, I don't live in New York City. How it doesn't do I... matter. Right, you're like a perfect example It doesn't matter where you live. You're actually even luckier not to live in New York. Explain what's the why. Chances, what's the chances that someone hears about you in New York? Yeah, like one in a No, million. like for real. Like what's the real <laughs> right. chances that you're like, hey, I'm 17 and I'm starting a store. Like how many people – all right, so New York is 500 square miles. There's 9 million people in that 500 square miles. Mm-hmm. How the fuck do you talk to all them? Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's impossible. So what you do is you start in a small city mm-hmm. like Richmond, Virginia, where you can become the talk of the city. Mm-hmm. What happens when you become the talk of a small city? A bigger city looks at that and is like, yo – there's this shit going on down south in Richmond, this crazy-ass store. Mm-hmm. Like, we got, we got to get down there. Yeah. Because it was so big in Richmond, it looked big to New York. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And that's like the— Because it looked like you owned a city. It like, looked like yeah. you owned a city. Right. In reality, it wasn't shit to own that city because it—you <laughs> know what I mean? It was like— Shout out Richmond. Come on. <laughs> no, no, no. I love—okay, and that's—it sounds like hate, but no, I love, I love Richmond. But what I'm saying, Richmond, I'm speaking to you right now, is that it's like— it was. It, it was wasn't easy, hard to. It like, was easier yeah. for us to impress everyone there. You right, know what I mean? Because right. like we were the, really one of the first of its type. Like there was a store before us called Footwork, mm-hmm. and that was like a flight club for Richmond. Yeah. And um, we knew a lot of those dudes, and like really like really looked up to that store. And mm-hmm. but I think we were the next thing after that. Really, yeah, yeah. you know. And it was just. It's as simple as that. It's like if you're in, f- like. Arkansas, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like it's so much easier for you to start something big in your city there yeah. that blows up and then gets recognition. Just like his start in thrifting, there was a level of naivete when starting the store. It wasn't to cash out and make boatloads of money. The goals were super low. Let's make rent. Let's just keep the lights on and put some food on our table. These were humble beginnings for Sean and his crew. A lot of people throw the phrase around, doing it for the love. But when you listen to Sean recount his history, you can really feel it. So what they soon realized was they had tapped into something red hot in their own hometown. Despite not knowing everything, like even money or accounting, they were smart to do one thing. Own your city. Yes, hindsight's 2020, but Sean was smart and strategic with how he approached the store and growth. I appreciate him recognizing that starting in a big city might actually work against you. Don't get discouraged or sidelined just because you're in a remote location. What you create doesn't need to catch the attention of the entire planet right away. Create something that just resonates with you, your crew, and your immediate circle. I mean, hell, who would have thought the biggest musician in the world right now would hail from Toronto, Canada? Who knew? OVO knew. That small circle will only expand as you continue to deliver something that the people want. Be the talk of your town. Garner that local support, because if done correctly, that growth and genuine connection will springboard into something bigger. A few episodes ago, James Whitner articulated this goal perfectly. Home came out. Do you recall when that recognition happened from, like, the big city? When we did our YouTube channel. Okay. So we started our YouTube 
two uh two years after opening mm-hmm. um like i said two years in was like right when things like really got like all right we need an accountant we need to like yeah so the show started um i like talking about the show because it didn't start as we didn't want a show uh-huh. it wasn't supposed to be a show okay um so our friend graham who films it he, he's been my homie since day one house parties at his house you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like half pipe in his side yard he mm-hmm. filmed us skating when we were younger took all the photos like dumpster diving together like you know what i'm saying yeah. graham's been the homie yeah and he was always filmed and stuff but he actually did well in high school and then <laughs> went to like college and stuff like uh-huh. that and like for film school he actually came out to, Cal- to california okay. worked on a few tv shows i'm bumming it in virginia i'm like man graham's killing it mm-hmm. you know and then um he broke up with his girl that like he had been with forever yeah like since like high school we're like yo they're getting married they broke up and like i know graham hates this part but it's like so necessary to tell he looks so depressed on instagram like, I was like, yo, Graham is, like, sad. Like He went emo on Instagram. His life looks like it sucks right now. I was like, you know what would be dope? I was like, it'd be so dope if we just, like, moved Graham out to Richmond. Mm-hmm. There was an apartment um, for rent above our store for, like, 300 bucks a month or uh-huh. something. We're like, yo, let's not offer him a salary, but, like, let's pay for him to live out here. And then for that, he can just film us every day. Uh-huh. And then when we're 30 or 40, I'm almost 30 now, so it's fucking weird. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah. yeah. So when we're like 50, yeah. uh, 60, uh, we can look back and be like, yo, this, this is, is what we life. were. It was yeah. just a documentation for right. us. It was simply like I did a lot of cool shit when I was younger with my friends and we had a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. I wish we filmed all of it, yeah. which we filmed a lot of it, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know what? We're doing cool stuff right now. We can't miss out on this. Yeah. We got to have something to look back, whether it fails or succeeds like we want to have something later in life and you were giving graham a little reprise from his life (laughs) a little reprise it kind of felt good we were like you know we had the 300 bucks a month to to spare we figured we i forget what we actually worked out maybe it was like we paid his rent and then we gave him like like 150 a month or something Mm -hmm. you know for like food or something like that i'm sure graham loves this part it was (laughs) (laughs) it was really within what we could afford you know yeah yeah but he started just filming us and um it was raw as shit we didn't i mean never but it's never been scripted to this day Mm -hmm. we've never planned anything we've never asked someone to come by we've never we literally start the camera and if it's a shitty day screw us is it still graham it's still graham he's a one-man show he does the all the editing dude he's doing two-hour episodes for us Wow. It's him and his girl. New girl. Super New impressive. Girl. New girl. <laughs> it's the it's the most recent and permanent of of Graham's girls. Nice. Not that he's had a lot, right, 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 you know. But right. this is like he's for sure marrying this one. That's really dope. But man. um, yeah, man, it's your um. Just going back to college, yeah. your college. Did you go to college? No, I did. Uh, I did terrible in high school. Uh-huh. Um, my mom hates it when I say that because she's like, "You did okay," and I was like, "Mom, I got all F's one quarter." <laughs> she's like, "I don't remember that." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm sure you don't. You probably deleted it <laughs> from your mind." You <laughs> I definitely showed dad, and he grounded me for a month. <laughs> like that's for sure. But um, did you finish high school? Uh, yeah, I finished high school. I. Dude, just barely. I did so bad, but I wasn't like a bad learner or like not smart. It was so slow. I just wanted to like be moving and get the hell out of there, oh. you know. And so it was like so slow. I'm like in their class, I'm like tripping out. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like I just wanted to be like working more and faster, and it just like wasn't happening, you know. Oh, so wow. yeah. So did anyways, you finish as a good high school student? Even like, um, no, nah, they hated me there. Mm. I felt so bad for my sister going back to that high school with my last name. They're like, oh, you're a Weatherspoon. They're oh, like, wow, you're okay. that kid. Come to the front. You, your reputation. The, like Weatherspoon, yourself. front row right. by the desk. You're gonna be a bad kid. for sure, <laughs> dude. Like. We could really get into stories, but one one that I really like was uh, me and my homie. We had a super, we had a super tanker mm-hmm. longboard. If anyone remembers the super tankers, I fucking love you. But it was like this five foot longboard. We okay. had it in our school, like on the second floor, and we were just dipping, dude, just like riding so fast. And I remember in this, the halls, in the halls, dude, just like both of us doubled up, mm-hmm. and we were just like fucking a bullet through the halls, you know. And everyone's like watching and shit. And then this teacher is like, "Hey," she's like, "Wait there," and we're like, my homie Tucker jumps off and keeps running, and I just keep on the board. She's running after us. The heel of her shoe breaks, and she eats shit. Uh-huh. Like this teacher, I'm talking like, boom, in <laughs> yeah. front of everyone. Yeah. And my homies, she was like an AP teacher or whatever. My homies had her class late that day. They're like, dude, fuck you, man. It's like you ruined our day. Like she's been so pissed off. Like mm-hmm. she gave everyone like mad homework. Like this is the worst day ever. She's <laughs> and been that's tr- somehow your fault that she She fell. didn't even know who I was. I was wearing a yellow shirt, so she told all her classes she was trying to find this kid with a yellow shirt uh-huh. to like find out like who it was that like did that. It was so, dude, it was so funny, but- yeah, so man, that was um yeah, high school. Hmm, you were Dennis whatever. the Menace. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. And uh why didn't you go to college? Man, it it just wasn't. Did you feel like it was my like, GPA more was slow? so low, I don't even think I could have gotten into did one. Did you take I, like, I the SATs? Nah, or if I did, I guessed on them. I don't know. <laughs> I actually, you know what? I don't think I took the SATs. Okay. And if I did, I guessed for sure. Okay. Like if I did take them, it was me going like Abba Dabba Kappa. <laughs> 
Because like people Stop. said you could get a D if you did that. Right, right. Or if you, you just do C's, like you'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll get a D or what something. What was your What was your GPA? Do you it was remember? like a two point something. Okay, it sucked. It was like two point four or some mm-hmm. shit, like just above failing, you know. Yeah. And so my dad was like, he's like, why don't you move to Richmond, Virginia? Mm-hmm. He's like, you have a few friends there who are like going to school. He was like, maybe it just might be. I think my dad do was just what? being a nice, a nice way to be like, dude, get the hell out of here and try to motivate yourself somehow. <laughs> right. You know, find I'll, something. I was running my friend's skate shop up until then, so uh-huh. that was like cool. But um. Yeah, I moved to Richmond, and that you know, it all yeah. started. Your so, parents now must be shocked. They're so stoked, dude. But they must be shocked. They're shocked. <laughs> it blows their mind every day. They're so into it. Like they both call me every day. Like my dad's like, "What was your numbers for December? How's the holidays? How's it comparing to your? You know, how's that going to live throughout the year? Is it going to stay up? Was it a spike? Like he's so into it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm into it too. Like, are they helping you with the business side, like, um, just you know, financials like, and stuff, like looking at stuff? Or nah, we, they're just interested. They're just like they. You know what? We got it taken care of. Like we've been open five years now. We got our account. You know, mm-hmm. three years ago. Like I think they're just like proud to, that they don't have to. Worry. help yeah yeah, yeah yeah they're like oh my god finally he's providing i'm like, going geez. fast forward a little bit it's but fine, i yeah. do want to know when you got the nike deal yeah and you ex- tried to explain to your parents yeah you're doing explain that like how did that go that conversation um, <laughs> man it's kind of funny like i almost forget so man that whole nike thing was such a whirlwind yeah. that it's like sometimes i have to really sit there and bring back the old memories of it to, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. really like to yeah, take yeah. it in but do you remember the time where like you told your mom and dad like yeah i'm trying to think I'm like putting my name on a nike yeah i think official. i official <laughs> i don't specifically remember but i know my mom was like really hyped like i know she was like kind of on the verge of, like crying thing and i was like you can't tell anyone yet you know like you have to keep it a secret uh-huh. until until nike gives me like the okay you know yeah, but yeah. i remember they were they were like really stoked that was yeah. like but we didn't know what to expect still at that point because right. it was like a contest you know yeah and so it was like it was it was cool but we just didn't know what to expect so mm-hmm. like as cool as i thought it would be i wasn't sure yeah, it fulfilled all expectations. Right, and even <laughs> even when the shoe came out, you didn't know how legendary the shoe would become. Hell no! Yeah, I thought know? I was gonna be the legendary, like dude everyone hated because the color. Like this dude was the biggest <laughs> flop in history. You right? know what I mean? You never know. Yeah. No hell no, and like the opinions were so mixed. It was like as much as everyone was showing the shoe mad love, a lot of people hated it. Yeah, really didn't like it. I mean, right. it's it's a very it's a like, polarizing shoe. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. So. Yep. Okay, so go going yeah. back now. You have the one round two yep. store. When when was the first expansion? Um, so the first expansion was so we moved Graham out there. He started filming. Mm-hmm. We started our little like you know accidentally started a show. We just put some stuff on YouTube. People were watching it. Um, our friend Etai, who lived out here, he like called us one day. We had met him through our friend's own skate shop called Utmost, right mm-hmm. across from us in Richmond. Okay, and they actually have one out, out here downtown now. But um, they were friends with Etai out here connected us through Instagram, never met in person type mm-hmm. of thing. Itai was like, yo, he's like, I've been watching your show out here. Mm-hmm. And like a couple of my homies have been asking me if I knew y'all because okay. he said he had friends in Virginia. Right. And we were like, what? We're like, people in California are watching the show? Like, what <laughs> the fuck is happening? Yeah. You know? And um, and he was like, yeah, you should come out and visit. So like we, um, Chris and Luke like, went out there to visit. And around that time, I think like our business just got a little bit busier from having like the YouTube exposure. Mm-hmm. Granted, it wasn't much, you know, but it was like enough to kind of get people who didn't hear about us before into the store and get people to kind of drive down. Yeah. Um. At that point, a uh, store went up for rent one block to the left of us, and it was an art gallery in Richmond. In Richmond. Okay. And um, we wanted to get that and then call it. That's how the gallery came to be about because we rented an art gallery mm-hmm. and then we kept our small store in the small store. Mm-hmm. And we had, there was all these mom and pops there. Yeah. Context. I used to, on my lunch break, I used to spend, I only had an hour lunch break and Chris and Luke fucking hated it because I would spend two hours. I would go to the mom and pops and spend every dollar I had. I would drain my bank account every time. Really? Every dollar I made that previous month, I would spend at the mom and pops till I had $10. What were you buying at the mom and pops? Everything they had. <laughs> um, anything that was my size in 10, 10 and a half, anything that caught my eye, I was just, I was just like digging through and just trying to find anything, dude. Like I was up obsessed with it and i would and i would just hold it all you know at my house or in our storage at the store and we had so much that we wanted to turn this gallery into like this og shoe store okay we got slat wall did uh-huh. the slat wall i bought all the old displays we turned it into like An we old mom and pop we made our store, own yeah. mom and pop of all of our favorite stuff from the mom and pops it was phenomenal only person who's like who means anything that ever got to see it was uh wale and dj clark kent clark uh-huh. kent's been shopping with us since we opened yeah crazy dude like and he like, he comes in person. Yeah. Right. And, like, we met later in life, and I was like, he's like, yo, I've been shopping with you guys since I was like, I remember. Wow. I was like, you were the first, like, celebrity I met, you know? Like, it's crazy. It was <laughs> him and dope. Wale. But, um... That's interesting that you decided to open a shop that looked like an old-school mom-and-pop yeah. shop. Because I think at that time, 
there was a trend, and I think like A Life had a lot to do with yep. it, where it was like beautiful gallery, old library level. Exactly. Yeah. We just wanted to be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We we wanted to be like a little different, you know. Yeah, but yeah. that was our take on playing off of their whole like you know artsy gallery yeah, spin. We're exclusive. like, let's do a gallery. Let's yeah. like make a mom and pop into an exclusive gallery, uh-huh. you know. Right. And that's what we did do, and it was so sick. And we'd bring like special people who we thought like would appreciate that stuff. We'd bring them in there to shop. Yeah. And um, it's not like it made much money, but then we were like, you know we uh, made this decision like that year to expand out to California. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was like two and a half years. We were two and a half okay. years into the whole thing. We're like, yo, we got to move to California. Like it's just, it, we have to like, yeah. Ty keeps telling us that people want around two out there. And, um, so did you and your two partners go? Yeah, we moved out here, but it was weird when we, so you know how we had our small round two that was only 750 like square feet and it was like 750 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And then we had this giant gallery that was like 3000 square feet, but oh. it was close to the public. Oh, okay. And so I didn't know it was that big. Yeah, no, it was gigantic. <laughs> okay. It's fucking huge. It's huge, dude. And, um, so that at that point we, we were like, yo, we're leaving to California mm-hmm. in like three days. I was like, are we really going to leave this big ass gallery? Just like here close and then have that small little store. Mm-hmm. We hit up all the employees that night. We're like, yo, we'll pay you guys like, you know, extra to pull an all-nighter with us. We pulled an all-nighter, flip-flopped the stores. Wow. It was insane. So we completely took everything out of it, uh-huh. restarted it as a as a main round two. Okay. We took all of our mom and pop stuff, put it in storage Small, in the old yeah. store. We turned the old store into our first web store. Okay. And we were actually doing website sales for like a couple years okay. out of that web store. And all then right. we it just was like too much of a pain in the ass, like selling used shit and people get a shoe in it you rate a shoe six out of ten it's five out of ten yeah. i don't know do you know what i mean it's right. like god damn it the star count <laughs> i don't know dude right yeah anyways so do we, you still have richmond now uh-huh we still have richmond still in the gallery space Both. it's huge um we got rid of the smaller spot we uh we had gotten a new web web store mm-hmm. um that was another block away but yeah. once we got rid of our online we got rid of that spot so now richmond's just that giant location okay it's our biggest store and when all three partners moved out to L.A., who did you elect to run um, so Richmond? So, actually, Luke stayed back. Okay. So, Luke stayed back. Me and Chris moved out to L.A. Luke stayed back for, I think, six more months to mm-hmm. kind of tie up loose ends there and mm-hmm. train um, train our current employees to be managers. Okay. So, then we trained um, our employee, Austin, to be a manager. He's the man. He's been mm-hmm. running it ever since. we got a couple more managers there right now. But, like, dude, That's I'm dope. super pr- – like, it was the best feeling ever being able to leave that store, yeah. and it still ran. That was, like, our moment of – to me, that was the greatest moment of success. Right. Was being able to have a store hands free where like, holy shit, that store's making money. We're, we're on the there. other coast. Yeah. I was like, Chris, we're making money when we're asleep, yo. Yep. This that's, is that's tight. Key, yeah. You know, it was so sick. That's when you knew you built like a real business that has like it a felt life real. It of felt its real. Own. It felt real. Yeah. Yeah. And other people real. are living their lives. Mm-hmm. You're not even there. Yeah. You're just living a life. Yeah, I couldn't believe it, dude. <laughs> I yeah, it's a really ha- that's a really happy feeling. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and so that's just been our goal since is like get a store okay. opened. Um so now you got get the, people and the trained. first one was Melrose. Yeah, first one was Melrose right there. We yep. actually wanted to be on Fairfax or La Brea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we moved out here, everyone was like, yo, don't open on Melrose. They're like, it's the most dead street. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. Fairfax or La Brea. No one would rent to us. All the landlords thought we were fake. They thought uh-huh. we were like, they thought we were scammers. Uh-huh. We would even put them in contact with like our accountant or like our attorney or something like that just to give some legitimacy towards it. And our accountant, I remember um, she, we called her like, we we're interested in this space on Fairfax. Mm-hmm. And we called, she was going to deal with the landlord. And she called us afterwards to give us up the update. And we're like, so how'd it go? And she was like, she was like, they think I'm a fake accountant. <laughs> they just don't believe anything. Our numbers have always been like really good, uh-huh. and I don't think people ever believe them. Wow! Like I don't think anyone's ever believed our they numbers. Think you're a fraud. <laughs> yeah, like we because like you go to rent a place out here in LA, they're like, cool, give us your bank statements mm-hmm. for the past six months or a year. Yeah. And you're like, all right. And you give them to them, and they're like, no. They're like, this isn't. They're like, you guys are how old? You're from Virginia? Sorry. Like, we're just not going to. Wow. They just didn't think any of it was real. And so this place on Melrose, we only got this because it's the only person who would even look at us. Mm -hmm. This is the only dude who gave us the time of day. Yeah. And so we just had to do it, dude. And and it's been fucking great, though. Melrose is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, Because it was was like a dusty retail area. It was. It was mad dusty. There was a a high point at Melrose. There was. I heard about that, too. (laughs) I heard about those days. Yeah, I heard about the high point. Yeah, but now you were like helping to bring breathe life back into it i I think we definitely like i think we helped out a lot yeah there's a lot of sneaker stores on the block now melrose is like this little like sneaker mecca Mm -hmm. this little hype heaven mecca yeah it's kind of cool
You know what's the most common reason for businesses closing? Expansion. As illogical as that may sound, it's true. The act of growing can itself be a moment of truth for your business. Things are going up for you and the business, and it's time to make some key moves. But the decisions you make need to be calculated so that what you've built doesn't suddenly implode. To Sean's point earlier, killing it in your own hometown can be more beneficial than trying to do it in a big metropolitan city. However, when you decide to then make that move to the big city, well, a whole other set of rules will come up. Sean and the Round 2 crew made it to a point where they had a real, legitimate business. Making money while you sleep. That's definitely goals. But even with that success, they weren't immune to the struggles that lie ahead for any entrepreneur. Two things he touches on. Location and legitimacy. A wrong location might move you away from the people that you actually need to reach. Landlords and the politics of real estate may push you to a location that you never actually wanted. Clientele and regional taste might differ from where you came from. Even logistics, they need to be addressed. How are you going to get goods from one location to another efficiently? The list goes on and on. So many moving parts will come up when expanding. And it's obvious to see that Sean has been able to overcome many of them. And even with that, he's probably smart enough to know that many more will come. So when starting, growing, and expanding your business, always remember that the blueprint might suddenly change. Shoot, Sean even decided to flip-flop stores back in Richmond, Virginia. The one constant rule is that nothing stays the same. You should have a plan and stick to it, but it is important to stay flexible. If you find yourself constantly putting out fires, it might be time to take a step back and assess if something bigger needs to change. But so now you've got, you know, you had Richmond, now mm -hmm. you have LA. How are you now getting product in? Was it still people bringing it into you? Just buying, selling, yeah. Okay. Yep, so at that, yeah, at that point, we were getting all, I would say like 95% of our product from people selling to us because we didn't really, um, we were spending seven days a week in the store. Mm -hmm. You know, we were, we were you working. You didn't have time to go no, out No, we didn't have scour. time to source at that yeah. point. So we were really trying to buy as much as we could. Mm -hmm. um, and then once we moved out here to LA, uh, we were able to take like maybe two days off each. Yeah. And then having like the swap meets and fleas out here, I started sourcing so much more. Mm -hmm. You know, so I would go out in the mornings myself. That was when I was like, because in Virginia, it was like a couple of swap meets. And I always said, like, if you didn't need sleep and places were open 24 hours, I'm your guy, you know, because <laughs> like I would love to just be up 24 hours picking shit. So when I moved to Cali, I was like, dope, I can wake up at five in the morning, go to a flea at six. Yeah. Pick there until eight, go to another one till 10, come open up the store, right. whatever. So it, it being out here allowed us so much more opportunity to like start sourcing ourselves again. Yeah, because in LA you have like flea markets and like proper like the Rose Bowl yep. and stuff. But yep. what about in Richmond? Like what was your sources? No, it was all thrift stores. I was killing it thrifting there. Like what? Salvation I, Army Goodwill yep. stuff? And I hate to even say this. It's going to sound corny as shit, but I was the motherfucking thrift king out there. I swear to you. Rain, sleet, shine. I was on a bicycle, no car. I was on a bicycle pulling shit. I looked homeless as hell. I would have trash bags all over me, dude. I remember one time the, the handlebar snapped. The <laughs> handlebar had too much stuff hanging it, on it. Yeah, it was too heavy, dude. And they snapped and I got the bike at a thrift store, you know? And, they, and I had to walk the bike home with like all my shit on my back, but that was it every day. <laughs> And Salvation Army had just an auction. digging all yeah, day. All day, every day, dude. Just completely, completely obsessed with it, dude. Completely obsessed. And for those who've never been in, like, a Salvation mm -hmm. Army, like, these aren't clean retail environments. No, no, no. They're mad dirty, dude. It's Disgusting. Kind of, it's gross. Yeah, it's gross. And, and like, you're, like, in a bin, like, just... In a bin. And I would do these, like, runs. So we had Mechanicsville and... Uh, I forget the other street, but it was Mechanicsville and Midlothian okay. in Richmond. And I would do my Mechanicsville and my Midlothian runs, and you would hit like nine thrift stores on that run. Uh -huh. And I would just do it. By the end of it, the car would be full, and I'd be like, all right, cool. you know. But I was, dude, like that was at a time when not like thrifting wasn't mainstream. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like everyone was out and everyone was thrifting. Like, dude, I would go to the thrift store, and there would just be mad shit. Mm -hmm. Like a full rack. Like one time I went, someone had just traded in a full collection of polo knit sweaters navajos flags bears 7.99 each it was like the really like yeah. this beautiful era of thrifting where it was like you Gems know when, all you know when you go to a vintage store now and you feel like you're thrifting but it, the prices are all like astronomically yeah, high yeah it was like it was like going to the vintage stores that were almost curated but it was like thrift store prices there mm -hmm. was so much good stuff in thrifts at that time yeah. it was so weird is there such a thing anymore as like discovering a thrift gem I think so, yeah. Really? Yeah, definitely. I see it happen Who can all the time. so out of touch that they don't know they're sitting on a gem at this point? There's two different things. It's either you're out of touch or you don't care. Because mm -hmm. I find myself donating some heat now. 
right? Where it's like, I'm at my house and I'm like, man, these Prestos, like I can't sell them at round two. They're a little too dirty. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to like put them on. So I donate it. But then when I'm at Goodwill putting them in the bin, I'm like, yo, this is a come up for someone. Yeah. Someone's going to pull these out and be like, how did this guy not know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not that I didn't know. It's like, just what just the fuck am I going to do yeah, with them? Right, yeah. Right, right. And so that's what I think it really is. I think it's like, you know, a lot of people find a lot of heat in the bins out here and Goodwill bins in LA and stuff. And everyone's like, how is this happening? And I'm like, yo, think about it. There's these people in the world who it's more worth their money and time to have it off their hands yeah. than to even have to worry about it. They're just going to give it to Goodwill and do tax write-offs are a big deal. Right, right. You know, and no one, a lot of dudes who are thrifting, like haven't graduated to a tax write-off point yet where you're like really focusing on like donating goods to then get that value back to get rid of your, your bottom line at the end of the year. But mm-hmm. it's like, that's a big deal. And it's yeah. like if someone can bring in all their old rock shirts and they can claim three thousand bucks, mm-hmm. that's fine. That's yeah. like getting paid three grand. Right. And exactly. so it's not that you know. I think that a lot of stuff is just turning up like that. Um, and then yeah, just I think a lot of people don't know. Yeah. You got to think. There's like so much weird stuff now that's worth money that you would never know. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, we get like weird shirts across the street. Like we had this BMW one where it had like a BMW sign, but instead of BMW, it's a THC. Okay. Yeah. And like it's an like, old rave shirt. Yeah, it's like an old rave shirt. Right? We sold it for like 300 bucks. What? You know? And it's like, it's not that someone didn't know that that was worth 300 bucks, but it's like, how would you know? So you know what yeah, I mean? Where yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. you don't know. Like, I don't know. I have well, no idea how to explain what I'm trying to say. I think I got you here. Yeah. The, the same, it's a, it's a dichotomy because the same reason why you would think everyone would know that everything has a value to yeah. it. It's all, that same reason has also opened it up where the one guy who would pay $300 for that now knows about it. Yes. So it's a two-way door. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It is. And it's and once you embrace the two-way door, it's amazing though. <laughs> like that's so sick. Yeah. I love it, dude. I, I have fun with it, you know? But you as the curator yeah. has to have the eye to know. You have to know. Someone might want this. Yes. Don't throw this away. Me and, so me and Adam, who um he is a 10% owner of our vintage store, mm-hmm. uh, one of like my best friends out here, we pick together like nonstop. We have a category that we call priceless. Okay. And we, we get so excited when we find items. That THC BMW shirt is in that category. You can price it for whatever you want. And someone's oh. going to think that it's so unique that they're going to buy it at whatever price. So that shirt sold for three. We regretted not doing five. Okay. So let me you, get this straight. The, the priceless category is stuff that's beyond StockX. It's, and like, oh, my God. It's beyond beyond MSB. StockX couldn't even open the, they, they couldn't even fathom the va- the pro- right they couldn't do i don't even know <laughs> you know what i'm saying they'd probably throw it away there's no test to know what this is worth you right. know what i mean and that's what that's a beautiful thing about round two is that like we have this very specific eye and it's like just how everyone has opinions mm-hmm. well we have an eye mm-hmm. right and we have this eye that's different than everyone else's but we're able to see these items that have this potential so much more beyond what's just like in front of your face, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. It's so hard to explain. I don't know, but like Yeah, because there's no mathematical calculation. There's for it. Nothing, when you dude. pick it up, you just know yeah. this is priceless. Yep. To someone. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how it's our favorite though. We'll be at the flea and stuff like that. We'll be at the rag house and like one of us will pick up a shirt and I'll look at Adam and I'm like, yo, and he's like, priceless. <laughs> and he like stresses us out because we're like, me and him will debate for like maybe even days sometimes like dude what should we sell it for yeah we're like do we even put it out for sale we've had so many regrets where it's like dude we've sold stuff so it's like say we sell a shirt for 400 bucks Mm -hmm. we've still haven't gotten another one yeah and it's like maybe people like oh wow rip off 400 bucks but it's like yo really like you might have the only one Mm -hmm. at least for now Mm -hmm. you know and it's like so i got this like bob marley and the whalers uh BMW shirt. It had a BMW sign, but Rasta colored. Yeah. And instead of BMWs, Bob Marley and the Whalers, BMW. <laughs> Priceless. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. what'd you price that one at? Um, I grabbed it for myself. <laughs> right. But people have offered me, dudes are like, yo, I'll give you 500 bucks for that shirt. Damn. It's priceless. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, it's so crazy. But so just given that, do you remember when there was a time for that in sneakers and clothing? What? A priceless. So that was when we first opened round two. That was like kind of what we were feeding off of. Like I said, where it wasn't like we had things that we knew were set in stone worth more than what they were, mm-hmm. but we had all this stuff that in our heads were priceless. Yeah. Where it was like I had Stussy Dunk Trainers. Do you remember the – no one fucking remembers this shoe. The Stussy Dunk Trainer that was all Baroque brown, a very buttery leather, mm-hmm. and then they had the free five or th- free 3.0 sole totally or something remember. like that. Yeah. yeah, it was a great shoe. They had like the tribe stuff on the tongue. Mm-hmm. To me, that was a priceless shoe because like – there weren't any on eBay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, you couldn't, like, go to a store and buy them. So, at the time, like, that was cool for round two to offer to you. Right. Because, like, that was, like, this thing that, like, 
It's priceless. Yeah. You can so buy it's it. For, not, it's not like a resale shop. Nah, because, dude. Round two is not a resale shop. Like, it looks like that now because we have to make a shit ton of money to take care of our overhead. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's really, I like to think of round two as just like a space where we're curating stuff that no one else can put together. Which is a museum. Which is a museum. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I like that. Because a museum, like, yeah. you know, you can't price that stuff. It's Each whatever. Each museum has a head who's, mm-hmm. you know, expressing their. Taste, vision, yeah. vision within that museum. And yeah. that's kind of like what we've done with round two, where it's like, I like to tell people, yeah, I mean, I, I don't like I don't like price comparison. Mm-hmm. I think we should all have set prices, even for vintage, you know what I mean? Of like what things go, because there's things that we have abundance of. Like there's a lot of racing tees. Yeah. All racing tees should go for a certain amount. Like all things should go for a certain amount. You know where we should compete is with curating mm-hmm. and, and experience and yeah. stuff like that. Like we should find ourselves competing where it's like, okay, who can put the best selection in one store? Mm-hmm. Not who can put a bunch of shit in one store that's worth like more than it than it's priced at or whatever, but it's like, who can put the best selection in one store so that you can shop with your eyes closed and not find something shitty? And I've been saying that since like the beginning of round two where it's like, you know, I hate to even say this, but like now in round two, it's not exactly my eye. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like we get a lot of resell stuff. I used to be able to say that I would wear anything in round two confidently. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do that now because we do get a lot of stuff that like pertains to different tastes that aren't necessarily mine, but we have to, to accommodate for just everyone. Well, your audience is growing. Yeah, it's it's grown, you know? But so that's the one thing is that like, I feel like what really sets round two apart is that you can walk into our store and you can find stuff in one space that no one else has the ability to to like curate mm-hmm. like the fact i always tell people i'm like we're so lucky to have such a vast knowledge of vintage um and then like even like you know vintage 80s 90s but even past that to like the mid-century um you know modern kind of stuff even yeah. turn of the century i was like we're really lucky to like have that you know experience and even me working at Saks barney's um levi's all these places it gave me like this really specific taste and it allowed us to curate a selection that was like unlike anyone else's Mm -hmm. like i love the idea of like you know going to round two and really just closing your eyes and picking something off a rack and being Mm -hmm. like damn this is really sick yeah and there's like keep doing that it's like what's the chances you're gonna pull off something whack right right you know and that's like that that's really what we've always worked towards and it's we've we always slim up our profit margins just to account for that like Mm -hmm. you know just to accommodate for it you know we're the type of place that it's like People always ask us like, "What's your what's your like, you know, margin?" Yeah, I don't know, two percent on one thing, eighty percent on another. Right. What's it going to take to average? get it off your hands? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. what if we have to have it as part of this collection? Then yeah, I'm going to pay you what we need to have it for. Right. I'm going to make sure we make a little bit of money. But I I'll feel e- bad for your accountant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How much do we make on this? And then this? What? <laughs> yo, it's yeah, terrible. Um, um, and then and then why no online? Uh, I'm obsessed with dude. I love the idea of um of seeing people in person yeah. getting excited about something. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Are people I, telling you, your partners, your account, like, let's open up an online store? We've started talking recently about opening up online for the Round 2 brand. Okay. But um, my my thing is, it's like... <laughs> you're, 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 like, steadfast on in real-life experiences. But it's like, my thing is, it's like, why open online when you can open in every major city? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like we have a store here. People travel here from 50 to 80 miles, maybe even more. Yeah. So if you can open in all these major cities, Cleveland, Ohio, Chicago, mm-hmm. like, you, you know, you could do all these major spots. You're accessible then. Yeah. And all, you're, and all you did was accomplish what you could accomplish online. And you could even do it internationally. You could do Tokyo, mm-hmm. or these Shanghai stores at the end of this year with Ed and all them at Clot and stuff. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you can really, you can touch everyone mm-hmm. without having to do online. And I think we're going to get to a point in the world where, well, guess what? Um, you know, wh- when was the last time that, that dot coms dried up? Mm-hmm. When was the last time you went online to start a dot com and they're like, sorry, none for lease? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right. That happens. Yeah. So every major city, it's like the prime locations are going to be taken up. Mm-hmm. And then that's, you don't have another option. Yeah. So I would rather scale us as large as possible with like these tangible, physical, in person locations. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get to online when we get to it. Right. But I feel like it's more important for us now to give people what everyone else isn't, and mm-hmm. that's a and that's a real life experience. Yeah, there's an and, argument that with the advent of yeah. dot com, uh-huh. like it's become sort of watered down, and yeah. the true value of it something has. now is like walking in and saying hello to someone. Hundred percent, right? Hundred percent. What lives longer? Do you um, when you're when you're you know online and you're buying stuff, you're exp- you have to put yourself in the consumer's right. So your experience online is. You're sitting at your computer, mm-hmm. you type in a website, you enter the store. You're not even opening a door to walk yeah. in. You're not even having to deal with another person. Right. You're not seeing you're not someone even wearing pants. You're not even wearing <laughs> pants. You could be butt ass naked. <laughs> yep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You need but to so get it's dressed. like you're you're not opening a door. You're just okay, you're in it. Yep. 
and then you're clicking and you're scrolling. You're not looking through and seeing something that you maybe wouldn't have seen before. It's like there's there is just <laughs> nothing there, no. nothing to even talk about. No. So it's like after you shop online and then you go hang out with your friends, what do you say? You're like, I just shopped online. I just bought this. Right. Cool. When you go to a store, they're like, Oh, what was it like? Yeah. What, exactly. Like, did, was it was it loud? Did yeah. it smell like weed? Did like right, right. what? What did, were they playing? Or, or what maybe music was yeah, they playing? exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. was there a lot of people in there? Like, was it dirty? Right. Did it smell bad? Like, I don't know. It's like, it, and these opinions are important because whether mm-hmm. it's positive or negative, an opinion is an opinion, and that drives someone else to then want to develop their own opinion. So if you can tell someone like, this place smells like shit, mm-hmm. it always smells like weed, whatever, then they're like, I kind of want to go. <laughs> I kind of want to see if it smells like yeah. weed to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and then they're yeah. like, then they go and they're like, dude, this didn't smell like weed. Mm-hmm. This place is fucking sick. Yeah. You know, and then they tell their friends opinion like, Yo. Opinion and opinion, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, since the first, since beginning of round two, that's how we, do. we didn't, we have never paid for advertising. The only advertising I've ever, ever, ever paid for is these goddamn benches you see here in LA. Because <laughs> it was so cheap, I was like, why don't people do this shit? Uh, so I was like, right. all right. But we've never like, we've always believed that the best advertising you can get is out of someone's mouth. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can read all you want. You can you can like, you know, whatever, you could hear it whatever, like on the radio or something, but it's like the best thing is to have someone in front of your face who's like, I'm telling you, I personally walked into this store yeah. and it was tight. Yeah. And, and now everything that you bought at round two, yep. you know that had to come from you an have, in real life experience. And you have a story. Yeah. We've created so many fucking stories with people. It's unreal. And I'm mm-hmm. obsessed with that. Yeah. Every person that leaves the store, like I said, whether it's a positive or negative you know, feedback, like mm-hmm. I appreciate it either way. I appreciate that person took the time to come by and create some kind of story with us, Yeah, you know? But yeah, like you said, that's an amazing like moment is that every item we've sold, hundreds of thousands of items, mm-hmm. there's a story Everyone out there for it. Everyone has a story. It. Yeah. yeah. And it's that, funny, you that lives so long too. You mentioned e Like, do you, do you shop Amazon? Do you uh, use Amazon For yourself? paper towels and okay. like... But you so. know how they have like one touch purchase now? Yeah, it's crazy. Sometimes it's so fast. I'm like, did I buy it already? Like, You're like, so did the money come out? Yeah. You're like, is it? <laughs> right. It's like instantaneous. It's crazy. And they, it's like at your door the next hour. And it's, it's convenient. Like, okay. So like we have to have that for the convenience. Like it totally like we need that. But I think. Yeah. Light know, bulbs and toothbrushes. Yeah, yeah. Light bulbs, toothbrushes, you know, that kind of shit. Right. 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 <laughs> Amazon Prime now, you know, things you <laughs> yeah. need within an hour. Right. Today's retail landscape is vast. It's a splintered digital market of social media shops reselling apps, direct-to-consumer brand outlets, brick-and-mortar innovators, struggling malls, department chains, and everyone in between. And in the midst of this, Sean might be what you call a purist, an advocate for true connection, a retailer who celebrates the in-real-life experience. Sean's approach reflects a time where the best way for consumers to really understand a brand is to go out and literally stand inside that brand. Something an Instagram mood or promo code simply cannot do. Remember standing there admiring the pristine wood in A-Life? Or be in awe of the bodega secret door? Don't get me wrong, this type of experience isn't dead. The people who do it right are just adding digital layers to it now. For example, retail pop-ups and art exhibitions are now created with a social lens of how to make things quote-unquote grammable. It's simply how we've evolved as consumers and as humans. What Sean holds as valuable gold for the round two experience is the idea of word of mouth. Now, this may not travel as fast in the modern sense, but it puts deep roots into the people who are willing to evangelize the brand. Every person that shops at round two is a walking billboard for that. And every person who reads about round two on social media desperately wants to go and experience it for themselves. Sean has been able to carve out his own space come to the table with the essence of retail in mind, but blend it in today's social world. Digital word of mouth can strike fast. So although he doesn't have an emphasis in e-com right now, he's tapping into the same space, but in a different way. He literally has the best of both worlds. So how many stores do you have now in total? Yeah, so, okay, we have... Uh, f- Four Rich, here in, you have Richmond. So we have four in LA. We have one in Richmond, mm-hmm. um, two in South Beach, and one in New York. Okay. Eight. Eight. Yep. Amazing. Yep. And can you say the next ones? Yeah. So next is going to be Chicago 100%. Like okay. that's, you know, we were talking about it before this. Yeah. We're like in the works of that. And that's going to be like a pretty, that's going to be like our biggest like deal so far. But um, so Chicago, we're doing some stores in Shanghai at the end of the year. Okay. Um, And then, I mean, within the US, there's like, 
you know, Houston, Atlanta, and Cleveland, Ohio, honestly. Nice. Cleveland sounds small, but it's like, man, everywhere I go, it's like it could be the smallest city, and I'm like, holy shit, I want to do a store here. Yeah, Boston. Yeah. You'll see, you'll see us like this next year. We've pretty much perfected our um, like our system. Like yeah. we've really figured out how to just like rock these stores. Like mm-hmm. we opened our South Beach store, and I think it took us three months. Yeah, you know, and and that's I think that's pretty quick. Do you know how uh, many employees you have? Um, no, a lot, a lot. Um, we uh, have so many, Sean has so many employees he doesn't know how many. <laughs> we might have now. like forty. Okay. Yeah. All across, yeah. Mm-hmm. All across. Maybe 40, like maybe 50. Maybe 50. Uh-huh. 50 sounds right. Right. Maybe more. And with, <laughs> with every city that you open up in, yeah. does that mean the intake products increase as well? Yep. Okay. So so that's the secret sauce, I think, right? Like you get better, yeah. more expansive product when you open up a new store. 100%, yeah. And we didn't know, we thought it might be the opposite. So we thought that our plan now was like, okay, cool. We have a New York store. We have an LA store. Each one of those stores, so our New York and our LA store, we spend right around right under a million dollars a month buying mm-hmm. we spend around like 800 grand a month buying and we we're like okay this is like more buying than we can sell so now let's open up stores in to fill product, cities yeah. right that won't do a lot of buying mm-hmm. south beach was our first one we're like all right south beach miami what are people going to sell us there mm-hmm. yeah. dude we opened up and it's just been an influx like just the same as here okay it's insane so wow. it's like every store we open and like you open yourself up for buying we're noticing like so much is coming in so much is coming in yeah. so that's like that's mainly why we want to start opening up um, overseas. Mm-hmm. And so those can be like our first points of like not really buy, sell, trade, but like curating the best of what yeah. round two, you know, is, you know, buying or picking in the U.S. So right. it's kind of like giving these other countries the best of from here. Do you, you often know? transfer product from city to city? Yeah. So um, we, uh, we, we do that heavy. Yeah, it wow. really benefits you because we can buy a lot of Florida stuff out here. Like mm-hmm. Florida, people don't give a shit about Florida out here, so mm-hmm. they'll sell it to us like a lot cheaper. Yeah, um, a lot of jerseys, a lot of like really summery crop tops, short mm-hmm. shorts, denim, things like that that don't sell well out here. We get them dirt cheap. I mean, yeah. it's in abundance at the flea market, honestly, and we'll send it out to to Florida where mm-hmm. it's like a lot bigger of a market for it. Right, right. You know, so that that helps us. Also in Florida, it's like um. There's like an abundance of like hip hop, rap, and stuff like that, and so yeah. it's kind of another reason why we're obsessed with opening these locations is because each city has its own thing that it's got like abundance of, mm-hmm. and so it's like once you open up in all these cities, it's like you're getting the best of, you yeah. know, from each spot, and you're able to really like disperse it through your stores and just have this like amazing selection. Like the more so, like once we open Chicago, then you better believe that in LA mm-hmm. you're gonna have some Chicago exclusive product, right? And that's like something cool about round two is that it's like. You know, our South Beach store, not mm-hmm. shit's dropping in South Beach. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what's, what drop is, like, starting in South Beach? So, But now in South Beach, when you go to round two, it's like you're getting, whenever Supreme drops in New York, we're next daying it. Mm-hmm. So we're spending, like, mad money the next day to South Beach. Whoa, really? So we're doing it before it drops online, you know? Like, when the season starts and things like that. Wow. So we'll buy all the Supreme, like... We're not going to the store and doing it, but like we're just all we ever yeah. do is sit around two and people bring it to us. Like uh-huh. We're not paying people to sit in lines. We're not doing bots. Like I don't even believe in that bullshit, you know. Mm-hmm. But like we're just sitting there and people sell us a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And um, and next day it's in Miami. We next day to Miami. So in, in Miami, it's like they have a Supreme store. They have a Supreme <laughs> store. It's sick. And so like we really try to help. We try to hook people up as yeah, much as we yeah. can. And it's like we just opened a new um, vintage store in South Beach, mm-hmm. and our employees there have been phenomenal, dude. They're like keeping a list of what everyone wants out there, like yeah. what vintage they're looking for, and we're curating it out here. We just went to the Rag House yesterday. Um, my homie Adam spent like you know five hours there, just pretty much hand selecting like going through thousand pound bales of clothes and hand picking stuff that's on our list of like what that customer is looking for the most. Mm -hmm. So as much as we grow and scale and stuff like that, all it's really doing is like our goal is to, to have more time outside of the store. So then we can then be just hand picking and really tailoring it to our specific eye as much as possible. Do you have a head of HR? Uh, that is myself. So are you interviewing all these people? Yeah. Me, Luke and Chris. So like the part-time shop staff in miami yep. you interviewed chris that. did all of them okay so chris interviewed, because i think the personality is super yeah. key for, it, it's right yes it's super key and that's like it, it's tough for us you know yeah. it's like really hard to find people who are gonna like are those like truly just over exuberant you know what i'm saying and it's like <laughs> well they have to be knowledgeable about of the culture but they can't be dicks yep. which a lot of them are right like, you're never cooler than anyone walking in the door right ever in right. your life i don't care who you are mm-hmm Everyone that walks in round two is beyond cooler than me. I, I know that for a fucking fact. Because, you know, and so it's like that you have to have that mentality yeah, where it's yeah. like you're not 
you're not cool. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everyone else is way doper. Yeah. Um, so you got to be humble, knowledgeable, yeah. trustworthy. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's really tough, dude. And like j- just having that knowledge of being able to talk to someone about a vintage piece mm-hmm. and then also a Supreme piece, that is so tough. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm just now this year, I'm really starting to learn how to like take it easy on the employees and like not get as mad if they're like buying a vintage piece that's like not necessarily vintage or like... Yeah. You know, if they're buying a little off, I'm like, all right, don't get pissed. Like, everyone's learning. Like, dude, you spent 10 years developing this eye. You know what right, I mean? Right. So, yeah, it's I'm, I'm proud of them, though, dude. Round t- it's <laughs> I a, can't imagine you getting mad at someone. Dude, I get a, so mad. You? Oh, you, go, you haven't you seen the ham- Mad Sean? No. There's what? There's a Yo, episode? I get so fucking mad. There's an episode where you go off on an employee? I don't know if there's an episode where I go off, but, like, I go off. Really? I go off, dude. I'm just, like, a, I'm a hothead only because I know what I want. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have a clear vision for everything yeah and anytime something gets in the way of it i'm like so confused as to why i'm like wait a second i'm like it was all so perfect mm-hmm. how did this happen right you know so i don't know <laughs> i definitely get heated yeah, yeah. ask around right <laughs> <laughs> Hey, thank you for listening to part one of this in-depth interview with the ever-hustling Sean Witherspoon of Round 2. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at HypeBeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I personally use Anchor FM. Also, leave a comment and tell us what you think about the show and tell a friend. It definitely helps out a lot. You can also reach out to me on Twitter. I am at Jeff Staple. And we occasionally answer listener questions. So if you have a question, shoot it over. Questions at businessofhype.com. The Business of Hype is created in collaboration with Bright Young Things. You can check out their work at byt.nyc. Our director is Daniel Nabetta. Our audio engineer is David Rogers Berry. Our associate producers are Sydney Pacumpra and Christina Hong. And this episode was recorded at Sibling Rivalry Studio and on location at the Round 2 store in Los Angeles, California. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hypebeast Radio. Hypebeast.